When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And on the other half of the podcast, my name is Kyle Darrow. Kevin, what's going on, man? Good, man. I'm good. Been busy. Uh, started a new job on Monday. Just been, you know, working like crazy. But the sports world continues no matter what. Kyle's going to read off the agenda today since he's got it right in front of him. So, Kyle, I'm going to flip it right back to you. What do we have to talk about today? So, we got a couple topics for you guys. So the first one we'll go over will be the predictions for the Thursday matchups in the NBA playoffs. We've got game three featuring the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. And then also we'll talk about game two between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Utah Jazz. After that, we'll have a quick discussion about Nikola Jokic. He received the NBA's Most Valuable Player Award. So we'll dive into that for a little bit. We'll also talk a little bit about the upcoming NBA offseason a little bit since some teams are already started in that. So we'll talk a little bit about Kemba possibly having a quote-unquote breakup between him and the Boston Celtics. We'll also talk about some rumors circulating about a potential Supermax contract for Luka Doncic. Then we'll also talk a little bit about LeBron James. We'll talk about his interest in Space Jam 2 and whether or not that he appeared to be more interested in this upcoming movie than how the Lakers performed in the first rounds of their series between them and the Phoenix Suns. And then the last topic that we'll talk about today is the Knicks. The Knicks are already into discussions on possibly looking at some top flight free agents, and we'll talk whether or not that they should pursue some top flight free agents or continue to build around the young core that they currently have on the roster. But first things first, like I mentioned, we've got the predictions for the Thursday matchups. So we'll go over the Brooklyn Nets versus the Milwaukee Bucks. So this series currently is 2-0 in favor of Brooklyn. They've looked stellar in their first two home games. And Milwaukee has their backs up against the wall right now in game three. So they definitely got something to prove. So Kevin, I'll ask you straight up. Who do you have winning game three between the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks? So Kyle and I actually talked about this prior to starting. It actually makes me laugh because I've picked Milwaukee to win both games. And I cannot even begin to understand what the hell is going on in Milwaukee. Other than the Bucks are just being outplayed in almost every aspect. I mean, the Nets, even without James Harden from the very first minute of game one have looked legitimately unguardable in almost every facet of the word. And the, the, the Bucks don't have an answer. I was watching a video. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or if it was on TikTok. It was a guy kind of voicing over some highlights of the series. And you saw that the Nets were doing what a lot of NBA teams do in regards to guarding Giannis. And that's giving him a lot of space and kind of stacking the paint and letting others beat him or beat them. 
but Giannis was taking mid-range jump shots. Giannis is doing terrible from the free throw line. Giannis isn't hitting shots from beyond the arc when left open. And I think it falls down to, ironically enough, the comments that James Harden made a couple of years back when he was regarded to saying, uh, it must be nice to be seven feet and just run down the court and dunk. That takes no skill. And I know that that jarred a lot of different opinions and that ruffled a couple of feathers, uh, mine included at the time, because I felt like he was just upset that Giannis was dominating the league as, as, as much as he was. But I feel like James' comments now have a little bit more fact behind it, because as you see, Giannis is kind of being exposed. Giannis does not seem like the type of player to go out and lead a team to victory. He did mow over the Miami Heat in the first round, and he looked absolutely incredible. But if we're being honest, now we're looking back at Brooklyn being up 2-0 in an embarrassing fashion. And then that makes you think, wow, like, is Miami that bad? Like, if Milwaukee destroyed Miami in almost every game, and now the Nets are dominating Milwaukee, you're like, well, damn, like, Miami must have been just atrocious. You know, no disrespect to them, but that's just kind of how it's looking. So to get back to my prediction – I've picked the Bucs two times in a row. I'm not going to do a third time the charm. It just seems like the Nets are outplaying them in every facet of the, of, of the, of the sport. And I think Blake Griffin hoodwinked, bamboozled Detroit because this man is playing absolute phenomenal basketball. I mean, the man is out here dunking on different people on a regular basis, obviously not to the electrifying quality or quantity of his L.A. Clipper days. But the man is still getting up there, getting there once, creating contact, and, you know, just, just being a pest offensively. And the, the Bucks don't seem to have an answer. So I'm going to confidently pick the Nets to win game three and take a overwhelming lead in the Milwaukee series, or should I say just in this series. Kyrie and KD have been playing at an exceptional clip, and the supporting cast is playing well around them as, uh, also. So – I got the Nets winning by maybe about five, six points. I think the Bucs play better. They are at home. They do have a little bit more of an advantage, so to speak. But I just think Brooklyn offensively is just too dominant. And unless Giannis is going to be able to hit more efficiently from the field and the free throw line, I don't think this is going to be possible. I'm going to go with the Nets here. And I'm, I'm really conflicted about this one simply because the Bucs have to do better than what they did in game two. They lost by damn near 40 points. And – Everybody on the roster had a bad game. The Nets just looked absolutely amazing in that game two matchup. Kevin Durant was sensational. Kyrie Irving did his thing. They were able to get some good production from Bruce Brown Jr., Joe Harris, even Mike James stepped up and chipped in for 10 points. Just everything was going for Brooklyn in game two. And while I think that Milwaukee is going to come out guns blazing in game three i just don't think they're they're going to be able to match the offensive output that brooklyn's going to put on them just because no team has shown me up until right now that this team can be outscored with the the players that they have on the roster this is even without james harden kevin durant and kyrie, kevin durant and kyrie irving have done more than enough to get this team into the position that they are and they are going above and beyond expectations that I currently had for this series. Cause I thought the bucks were going to be able to split one uh, in Brooklyn and that did not happen. They got absolutely washed in game two. So the way that I look at it, I think the bucks are going to be a lot more competitive in this game, but I'm going to be honest with you. I still think Brooklyn wins this by 10 points just because they got to stop Katie or Katie's going to have got to have an off night. 
And I have yet to see that. I just think that KD is in one of those zones right now where nobody can touch him. You could, unless you double him and he's got to kick it out to somebody in one of the role players and maybe Bruce Brown Jr. or Joe Harris or like Mike James or Landry Shamit. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's going to happen for, for Milwaukee here. I really think that Brooklyn's going to go up 3 0 in this series. And to be quite honest with you, at that point, the series is over. If you're up 3 0 and the Nets have been playing the way that they're playing, I don't think that Milwaukee's going to have a real shot in this series. And unless Giannis and Chris Middleton step up, because Chris Middleton has been absolutely a abysmal in this series he's averaging like 14 and a half like 15 points a game it's just not going to get it done Giannis has played okay he had a great first game in the series but had a had a bad one in game two be honest everybody had a bad game for the Bucks in game two it's just I gotta see it to believe it that somebody's gonna beat the Nets and I just don't think that the Bucks defense who I thought was actually gonna play very well against Brooklyn is gonna be enough to stop Katie and Kyrie and then Blake on top of it. I just don't see it. Yeah. Nets win this one by 10. I think it's like, like one ten or like a hundred. I just don't think that the Bucks are going to be able to score enough. Yeah. And if they, they fall behind early enough to, you know, they're going to try to play some catch up basketball and that might lead to some fast break points by the Nets because it just, if you're playing catch up against this team, you're never going to catch up realistically. I mean, to kind of even to dive a little bit deeper into the stats, I think Milwaukee only had nine free throws in game two and they made four of them. I mean, that's that's like 44%. I mean, they shot 29% from the three point line. That's not going to done. They shot 44% from the field, but Brooklyn shot 52% from the field. Brooklyn, not half of their three pointers and they shot 85% from the free throw line. I think the only way that the Bucks win this game is to get this game into a grimy, dirty style of play. They have to go after Brooklyn. They got to look to go to the foul line and they got to knock down these shots because I think the only way that Milwaukee's got a shot in this series is if they slow the pace of the game down. Cause, cause once Brooklyn gets going, it's like a, it's like a runaway tray. You're not going to be able to stop them. So I think they got to make this game grimy if you're Milwaukee here. Because if they don't, if they play by Brooklyn's rules, Milwaukee has no shot whatsoever. Yeah. And I mean, at that point, when we flip it over to this next series being the Clippers at the Jazz, uh, game one was a nail biter, came down to the wire. Uh, Utah ends up winning that game, like Kyle talked about in his uh, episode today that came out this morning or his segment. Uh, the Jazz won 112 to 109. Donovan Mitchell was stellar. Uh, the tandem tag team of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were subpar, at least up to their playoff expectations from the last series against Dallas. And they just had no answer in guarding Donovan Mitchell. So this next game two prediction, Kyle, I'm going to switch it over to you. Um, what do the Clippers have to do better at other than guarding Mitchell to have a chance at winning game two? I think I get some better production from the role players outside of Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard had a fantastic game. was able to knock down a couple threes, but had 18 points overall. And I think you got, you got to see Reggie Jackson step up a little bit. You got to see Marcus Morris step up a little bit. They were fantastic against Dallas in the first round of the playoffs. 
They stepped up when it when they needed to, when their backs were up against the wall. And if they get better production from those guys and get better performances from Kawhi and Paul George, specifically Paul George, because he had an abysmal game one, Paul George shot 417 from the field, which is not even 25%. And if you get maybe 35 or 40% from Paul George in that game, the Clippers win game one, even despite Donovan Mitchell dropping 45 on the Clippers' head. Like, that's going to be the main focus for me, just because I thought the Clippers had a very good shot to win game one, and they let it slip. They just lost momentum in the second half because Donovan Mitchell just put it on him. I mean, he put his foot on the gas pedal and never let it off. So I think if if you're looking at the Clippers here, they got to step up their defensive intensity a little bit. They got to get the ball out of Donovan Mitchell's hands and they got to get it to somebody that look, if you get it to maybe Joe Ingles or maybe Clarkson, even though Clarkson is the sixth man of the year, I would rather them beat the Clippers than Donovan Mitchell going off and scoring 45 damn near 50 points in game one, like he did. So all in all, bless you. Thank you, sir. All in all, I think the Clippers just have to turn up the defensive intensity a little bit, have some better efficiency from Kawhi and Paul George. And I think they have a very good shot to win game two. And if you're looking at Utah, they got to get off to a better start because they were down 13 points at halftime. The Clippers really went on a pretty solid run to end the first half. So I think if you're Utah, you definitely got to get off to a better offensive output in the first half and just try to focus on getting the ball out of Kawhi's and Paul George's hands and allowing some role players for the Clippers to beat you or at least take a chance to beat you because I'd rather have Reggie Jackson or Marcus Morris or Luke Kennard go off than Kawhi dropping 40. The the Dallas Mavericks learned that the hard way in game six of their series. So, but this is going to be a fantastic series. I really do think that these teams are fairly evenly matched um, I think this is going to be a fun series, though. I really do. So who's who's your uh, who's your prediction? My prediction for Game Two between the the Clippers and the Jazz is I got the Clippers winning this one. I think, like I said, if they turn up the defensive intensity a little bit, they focus on Donovan Mitchell more. They may have to double him in certain defensive packages, and allow some other guys, some other role players for Utah to have the chance of beating them. I'm talking about like Joe Ingles or Bogdanovich or maybe even Clarkson, just because the Clippers cannot allow Donovan Mitchell to drop another 35, 40 plus point game. Like he did in game one, it's just not going to work. So I think if they do that and they get better efficiency from Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, I think they'll, I think they'll clear the Clippers get a very good shot of winning this game. And listen, if they're able to win this game, they split the series in Utah 1-1. You go back to LA with a chance to potentially go up 3-1 or 2-2. So the Clippers, this is a very good opportunity for them. And I thought that they had very, very good chances to win game one. They lost momentum in the second half, like I mentioned. I think if they're just able to maintain the momentum that they had in the first half of game one, I think they'll be fine in game two. But Utah's going to make adjustments as well. So it wouldn't surprise me if you see a better overall performance across the board from Utah's starters and role players than you did in game one, where it's just 
where you don't see Donovan Mitchell really kind of putting the team on his back and getting Utah a win. So it's going to be a competitive game. I think it's going to be very similar to game one. I think the Clippers win this one. I think the Clippers win this one by like five or six points. So I'm actually going to agree and say that the Clippers probably are going to win this one as well, but I'll keep mine brief since you stole all my damn thunder. Um, I believe it's going to be a similar series like the Mavericks series. And now I don't know if it's going to go seven, but it does remind me of pretty much what happened in our series. Luca was going off. They had no solution. When our role players played well, we won. When they did it, we lost because obviously everybody's focalizing on the either the perimeter breakdown with Donovan Mitchell or Donovan Mitchell heating it up from the outside. I mean, if you really look at it, aside from the assist numbers, Donovan Mitchell and Luka Doncic are relatively the same in terms of player efficiency, just because Donovan Mitchell puts up a lot of volume of shots as well as Luka Doncic. <laughs> and when he's hot from outside, he does tend to be a shooter, but when he's not, he drives it out to the basket and then he gets his other teammates involved. Now the difference is Donovan Mitchell can hit free throws. So I would say that the Clippers more than likely have a formula to win. And that is probably going to be, if it's going to be one person to beat us versus the entire team, we have to find a way to make sure that the other players aren't going to tee off. Donovan's going to get his looks. Donovan's going to get his shots. I don't think he's going to be as efficient at a clip of 45 a game, but I expect him to average anywhere from 30 to 35 points a game this series, just because of the electrifying play he's had over the last couple of weeks, especially like rolling into the playoffs when he came back from that ankle injury. Um, Donovan's going to get his looks, but it's like you said, it's a matter of will Bogdanovich be able to step up? Will Jordan Clarkson be able to continue his hot streak from the sixth man of the year award and so on and so forth? Will Rudy Gobert continue to be the defensive player of the year? Uh, congratulations to him. I believe this is his third time winning it or even the fourth. I don't recall exactly. So um, third, but I do think the Clippers win this game. I do think Kawhi Leonard steps it up. I don't necessarily see somebody on this roster that can, make him struggle or, you know, give him a hard time. Paul George, I don't know if he's going to be pandemic P or playoff George. We did see that he had moments in the Dallas series where he did look like his old self. And then there were, you know, quarters where he disappeared. It seemed like the integrity or excuse me, it seemed like the entirety of this last game in terms of game one, he just went cold and he disappeared. So um, I have the Clippers winning another close one. Like I said, I think the series is going to be relatively close the entire way. And I think they find a way to steal one in Utah in game two. Yeah, if they still one in Utah, that's a game changer because I've always thought of, of basketball as a game of momentum. And game of runs, boy. It, it's like a pendulum. You know, right now it's kind of swinging in the direction of Utah because they had that nice come from behind win in game one. But I saw some things from the Clippers that showed me that if they're just a little bit more efficient from the field, they can compete with this Utah team. I think this Utah team can be had. So, uh, granted, Utah, they're the best team as far as the regular season went for this season. But I don't think that they're unstoppable. I think this team does have some flaws, and I think if the Clippers exploit them to the degree that I think that they can in game two, that could be potentially significant for L.A. And listen, you go back to LA, 1-1, got the chance to go up, 3-1, you take advantage of it. So as far as I'm concerned, the Clippers have a great opportunity here to tie it up, 1-1, but so does Utah. Utah has a great opportunity to take this to 2-0. And listen, you know, going up 2-0, going back on the road, it's a lot better than 1-1. So 
you know, you're going to see some fierce competition in game two. That's for sure. Stanton homeward again. Um, yeah, that's what I said, right? It's kind of crazy. Our offense is actually doing something. We have seven runs on the board. It's a miracle. Seven?H- yeah, seven to one. Um, and, and Cole's pitching, right? Yeah. Oh my Cole God, had a bad fought- outing his last game. He got rocked they- in the last game. Well, at least they're giving him some freaking run support for once. Yeah, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir here, buddy. Kyle did mention this in the agenda. Uh, Nikola Jokic is your Kia MVP of this 2020-2021 season. Kudos to Nikola. He had an incredible and phenomenal year, both statistically and just like overall. Holy shit. I mean, he's the first center since Shaq to win this award. He's also the latest draft pick in NBA history to win the MVP. He was the 41st pick in the year he was drafted. And we've been saying it all year, man. Nikola's been playing at a clip that is almost unheard of, especially in his position. The man averaged over 26, almost over 26 points per game. He almost averaged a triple-double. I believe if I'm looking at his stats correctly, he averaged just shy of, yeah, like I said, just shy of 11 rebounds and then just shy of nine assists per game. So, again, kudos to Nikola for doing it at at an incredible pace, helping the Nuggets go all the way to the third seed. And he's just, he's a guy you can't sleep on. Kyle and I have been praising him relatively all year and i know that i did predict steph curry to win the award i wish he would have he only got five votes out of all first place votes in the uh in the mvp race but at the end of the day it rightfully did deserve to it it rightfully belonged to nikola Jokic. so kudos to him man yeah i mean listen i'll never forget i saw a video of this on twitter this morning nikola Jokic went from the guy that was drafted on ESPN's ticker while they were having a Taco Bell commercial. Taco Bell commercial. <laughs> like he has come a very long way since then. And I, he, it's well-deserved just because listen, he's the first MVP to play all the games since Kobe did it in 2007, 2008, when he received his MVP. And the one thing that, that I just love about Jokic is that, he is what I consider just the full package. The fact is he can facilitate like a point guard. He can shoot three balls just as well as an average three point shooter. And man, he he has such a nice mid range game and he is a dominant force down low as an offensive presence. Just, I mean, the guy shot, if I have my stats, right, he shot 56% from the field this year. He shot almost 40% behind the three-point line and knocked down about 87% of his free throws as a center. That's amazing. I I remember we put a video out a couple months ago where we were talking about Joel Embiid and Jokic were at the top of the MVP discussion, and we got taken to the woodshop by all these commenters on YouTube saying that Nikola Jokic was far and away the MVP at that point in time. And listen, they were right. He was sensational. I think he stepped up even bigger now that Jamal Murray's out of the lineup. So he's carrying more of the load. And Denver is still playing at a tremendous clip. And it's really all in part due to Nikola Jokic's just ability to play the game so well. And the fact that he has them competing in the second round of the playoffs Mind you, when you lose Jamal Murray, you're losing a top-flight point guard in this league. 
and despite that, the Nuggets are still rolling and Jokic is the main reason behind it. So you got to give a lot of credit to him. The MVP is well-deserved. And I, it's easy for me to say, just, you know, we're going to see a lot more for him, but I think he can take his game to another level within the next couple of seasons, because I think that this guy has a ceiling that could be, you know, top five in the league. And Duhar with a home run. The Yankees are probably not on right now. Holy shit. Very nice. Very oh, yeah, nice. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but that pushes us into our next topic. Um, this particular instance, <laughs> this player is not an MVP candidate, but this player at one point was as was regarded to a top free agent a few years back in the summer of 2019. And that is Kemba Walker. My boy from the Bronx. You feel me? You know, Kemba, shout out to you showing a lot of us that it could be done. So kudos. One of my favorite players, if not my favorite player in the league. Uh, That's my dog. But it seems that Kemba and the Celtics are looking to break up. Um, Due to the inability of Kemba's consistency, he seems to be not only a defensive liability, but he can't, he's also a health liability. He cannot stay on the court. He has missed a significant amount of games both last season and this season. And it seems that, you know, that him and the Celtics just aren't working out. I mean, when he came to Boston, it was with the intent that it was going to be the Kemba and Tatum show, or at least, you know, Kemba Tatum and Jalen Brown show. But it seems that he has fallen to maybe even a fourth option, depending on the night. So, Kyle, what I'm going to ask you is, first and foremost, it's a two-part question. Um, Do you think that he has a chance of staying in Boston? And if so... Kemba Walker's contract is quite large. So this would mean it's an automatic trade. Who in the hell is willing to absorb the contract of a 30-year-old point guard who is a legitimate liability on the defensive end and who is nowhere near the prime in which he was back in Charlotte? Well, first things first, I don't think he's going to stay in Boston. I think his days in Boston are over with. And one thing before I get to my second point, I hate the language that they're saying that this is a quote-unquote breakup. Like these are grown adults. Just say that they are basically looking to mutually part ways. That's a lot better than saying a quote unquote, a breakup. Like this is a freaking high school relationship coming to an end. Like there's my, it's my little soapbox moment. It's just like, come on. Like, but you're right. This is like narration behind it is stupid. It's just, you know, when it comes to the freaking framing of these reports, like a breakup, no, they're making a business decision. And more than likely, they're going to mutually part ways, and that's it. Now, who do I think could – which team could pick somebody – pick him up? I'll tell you what. I would be surprised if the freaking Cavs go after him. I, I, I don't know why, but, you know, it's just that, the, like, the Cavs, just because that their general manager has kind of been in that the last couple of years, I could see some – team like that going after him even though that Kemba is a major defensive liability outside of that I mean he's not going back to freaking Charlotte they're rolling with LaMelo and I think they're probably doing that for the better I'm just looking across the league it's kind of tough for Kemba just because he's he's a 30 year old point guard like you mentioned and he's a major defensive liability so I still do believe that Kemba is a starter in this league but I think his days as a starter are numbered. And I think 
at some point in time, I don't think it's going to be this offseason, but I think sooner rather than later, I think Kemba's going to have to really start considering coming off the bench just because I don't think teams want to pay this much for a guy who's really one-dimensional and is not the number one guy on the team. I mean, on most teams, Kemba is probably going to be at most the two, like the second best player of the team. But on most teams, he's probably going to be the third. So, you know, if you look across the league, could the Lakers go after him? Just because they're they're probably looking to part ways with Dennis Schroeder after his abysmal playoff performance in the first round against the Suns. Could the Knicks go after him? I mean, maybe they could simply just because they kind of had some issues at the point guard position. They were kind of flipping back and forth between Derrick Rose and Alfred Payton. I don't really know. The Knicks could potentially pursue him. It's just, you have to understand, you know, Kemba's great offensively, but you're going to have to cover for him on, on the defensive side. And I think Boston did pretty much as best as they could to limit the defensive exposure that he brings to a team. But I think Kemba's spots of going to another team are going to be pretty limited. And with the contract hit that the team's going to have to take, I don't know if the market's going to be freaking on fire for Kemba Walker. That's kind of my take on it. Yeah. I mean, again, with him being my favorite player to watch a lot of games whenever I can, when he's healthy, uh, it does hurt to see that he is kind of hitting that point in his career where it's injuries. And then when he is on the court, he's not doing phenomenal, but I do have his stats up here for the last two seasons. They're not as bad as I thought in his first year in Boston, he averaged 20 points per game. It's not bad. I mean, granted, it's not anywhere what he used to be in the two years prior of him going with 25 and then 22 and then 23 the year prior to that. Um, Kemba kind of got better as his career progressed. But again, people don't understand that's because of the inflation of him being the actual literal fucking only option in Charlotte, whether he was a Bobcat or a Hornet. He didn't have to worry about passing. He didn't have to worry about giving it up to someone else in a clutch moment. Kemba took all the shots, and rightfully so, because he was Kemba Walker. He was the best player on the team. But when you came to Boston, which is what didn't make sense, I get he wanted to come to a winning culture, but when you have three additional mouths to feed without including yourself, where do you see yourself kind of dominating or you know matching up well against somebody? Because you had Jason Tatum in his first year, Jalen Brown, and Gordon Haywood. Where was Kemba going to go? Where in that trio did Kemba think he was going to dominate? Pick and roll. Maybe um, fast break, maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like a switch, maybe a mismatch of some sort, but he can't go one-on-one with every player. He can't dominate like Jason Tatum can. He can't hit shots like Jason can. He can't play defense and score efficiently like Jalen can. He doesn't have the offensive skill set that Gordon Haywood does with his height and his vertical. So you're sitting here and you're looking at it and you're like, well, you know, he did fill that IT void. You know, Isaiah Thomas did it. And Isaiah Thomas dominated. Yeah, but IT didn't have all of those mouths to feed at the time. You know what I'm saying? IT was the guy. Granted, he had uh, had Marcus Smart. He had uh, Al Horford and those boys. Yeah, so he had bigs around him and uh, solid role players. But I I think even Drake Crowder was on that team at one point. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? They had good role players. But in this case, 
like you had mentioned, Kemba is pretty much the third option at this point. He again, he only played 43 games out of 72. He, I think, he played maybe one or two postseason games in this in this series against the Nets, and. I just don't think it's it's, it's going to work out. I never thought it was going to work out in Boston, especially when he chose Boston over the Mavericks. Um, and then obviously looking back at it, I don't think he would have worked in Dallas either because Luka is a dominant uh, ball, dominant uh, player. And we'll get into Luka in a second. But I agree with Kyle. Uh, it, it's, it's really hard to kind of sit here and look and figure out where he's going to go unless it's maybe a bench role or if he's willing to restructure his contract because nobody wants to pay upwards of $30, $31 million a year for someone who's an, uh, basically a guaranteed bucket on the other end, and you don't even know if he's going to play half the year, especially with the knee injuries he's been having consistently over the last two seasons. I think, like I mentioned, I think the two teams that are probably going to look at him just off the top of my head are going to be the Lakers and the Knicks, just because I think both of those teams are looking for an upgrade at the point guard position. Now, Kemba would be an upgrade over what the, what those teams have currently, just because with, with the Knicks – I don't know if Derrick Rose is really what I would consider a starting point guard anymore. As much they're as I would, they're going to resign him. As much as I would love Derrick Rose to be what he was back in the day, that's just simply not the case. He has flash moments, but it's not consistent. And with Dennis Schroeder in LA, no. Listen, I'm a Lakers fan. I'm saying stay away from Dennis Schroeder pretty much at all costs. It, it, it didn't it didn't pan through. No, it, when it, it Dennis didn't work was playing out. lights out in the regular season, he's a good defender, and when he had his good offensive streaks, he there, there wasn't a problem, you know. But in the playoffs, he was non-existent. So, you but know, we'll we'll get to, we'll get to him and those boys in a minute. But to close out on the Kemba Walker thing, there are teams that are interested. I would assume just because he has the potential to maybe you know with a full offseason get back to what he was in terms of health. But, I mean, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. If he goes to New York, it would be a homecoming, obviously, him being from the Bronx. I don't know if New York's willing to cough up that much money when they have to re-sign a lot of players. Um, there was speculation that Boston was going to be a – everything good? Yeah, you good. I was just looking up at my uh, Oh, you scared the crap out of me, bro. I was like, gunshots? What the hell's going on? Um, no, not tonight. So, um, I'm just looking at it, and I don't I, – I, I, I was saying with uh, – Portland being a, a, a potential trade destination for Kemba, maybe a, a sign and trade or maybe a, a player for player kind of swap. I don't think it would happen, but they did report. There were reports when Portland lost that Boston would be one of the front line candidates to try to acquire Damian Lillard. And obviously if Kemba doesn't want to be there, it would only make sense to swap the guards and maybe pick swap and some other assets. So, you know, just another thing. I don't know if that would work out, but it's just something to keep your mind on. Maybe, and I, I know we're going to talk about the Knicks a bit and their off-season plans in a little bit, but um, we'll, talk a little, we'll talk a little bit about Damian Lillard and the, and the Knicks in a, in a little bit. I'll just leave yeah. it at that. 100%. So, next subject, a tough one. Well, not really a tough one, but, I mean, kind of a, a difficult situation, so to speak, because, oh, great, the here come the Twins, another home run from the Twins. Um in the in this coming offseason, Luka Doncic is entering his final year of his rookie contract. So obviously we all know at this point in time in a lot of these young players' career, they typically tend to have the option of either opting in to their final year of their rookie deal and waiting to become a free agent where they could maybe acquire more money or they take a super max extension 
and they, they, they re-signed for a longer period of time on top of their already existing working contract. So Luka Doncic is eligible for anywhere over $250 million in his Supermax extension with the Mavericks. Uh, if I remember correctly, I'm sure Mark Cuban has already stated, I would rather divorce my wife than let Luka Doncic leave the city of Dallas. And in his exit interview with the Mavericks when we were packing up the locker room and they asked him about his potential summer of decision-making, I guess. Um, what is your likelihood of signing your Supermax contract? What do you think about that? And I believe to paraphrase his response was, I think you know the answer to that. Um, in my opinion, Luke is going to stay. Luke is going to sign that contract. If I'm Mark Cuban, I don't even go into the room. I walk in and I give him a blank check. And then I say, my signature's here, whatever you want. Like, there's no way we let him walk. My issue is what we're going to do with the supporting cast around him. Obviously, with all of the issues circulating and rumors about KP's problem with the coaching staff and KP's lack of productivity in the postseason, obviously, uh, J.J. Reddick's going to be a free agent. Melly's going to be a free agent. Josh Richardson's in the last year of his deal. Tim Hardaway Jr. is a free agent, and so on and so forth. So our roster is pretty much going to have to be completely restructured because there were a lot of people on one- or two-year deals that we're going to have to look at. Obviously, Luke is going to take the bulk of our cap space because Christoph Porzingis is already eating $153 million. Highway robbery. We were robbed. I swear. Mark Cuban signed that on, you know, like maybe like he was bamboozled into it. I don't know if he was, you know, threatened at gunpoint. I'm just kidding. Obviously, everybody, I'm just saying Christoph's has just been that bad for us in the last couple of weeks. So, Kyle, obviously, you're not the Mavericks fan here, but in regards to Luca's extension, we all know he's going to sign it. What do you think Dallas has to do in order to get through not only this first round, but to make an actual run into the postseason going forward through Luca's career? Well, once they finish this Supermax deal with Luca, because that's it almost kind of seems like symbolic at this point, they're going to get that done. It's not a matter if, it's just when. I think the main thing here is they're going to have to get a big man. They got to get somebody who is actually dominant down low. It's simply just because, look, they've got a decent amount of seven-footers, and yet they don't really rebound that well. Like, Kristaps, every now and then, he can get you maybe 10 boards. Maybe Boban can get you 10 boards, but they're just too inconsistent. They need somebody like, I'm just, I'm just saying, not go out and go get this guy. I'm just saying, they need somebody like DeAndre Ayton, who is great down low, and works the paint from ten to fifteen out, uh, ten to fifteen feet out, and is just eating the rebounds from the opposing team's shots if they miss them. Because I think the one thing that kind of stood out for, for me in this series against the Clippers is the offense is not a problem, outside of you know, Luca is going to be able to score 30 to 40 points in the playoffs consistently. It's the defense. The defense gave up a lot of points in that Clipper series. And I think if you're able to kind of improve the overall defense of the team, I think you can win a lot of playoff games that way. Cause I do think that the Dallas Mavericks are going to be a very good team and they're going to be consistently in the playoffs. And outside of the defense, I think they got to get another shooter that's consistent. Because when I look down this roster, Dorian Finney-Smith, he has his moments, but 
is he realistically the second guy next to Luca? No, he he shouldn't be. At most Dorian Finney-Smith should be somewhere around like maybe like the third or fourth best player on the team. Tim Hardaway Jr. kind of the same thing. He's just not consistent enough. There's nobody on this roster that I look at and say, "Wow, like he is just as consistent as Luka Doncic." Granted, you know, not like Luka's, not like these role players are going to score the way that Luka has. But I'm just saying, like, consistently dropping 15, 20 points or grabbing, you know, five to 10 rebounds a game and getting about five or six assists. There's nobody on this roster outside of Luka that can do that. So I think it behooves the the Mavericks to, to look for a legitimate number two player to go along with Luka. That should be their goal this offseason. And to me, I think they got to get rid of Porzingis just because he's just – there's too much complaining with him. I know there's, there's frustration about he's basically kind of like Luca's sideshow, but Chris Hubs, he's getting paid all that money, and he was basically a no-show in more than half of the games against the Clippers. So Way more than half. He only had double digits, I think, twice I was, out of seven games. I was, I was being nice. But <laughs> that's kind of the two points that I guess I could make. They got to get a legitimate center who could just eat down low all day and get a legitimate shooter. Basically get Luca his, his Robin. That's how I see it. Yeah. You know, I can elaborate 10 times more into this being a Mavs fan and, you know, knowing the ins and outs of the beat writers and the reporters and the narratives that I continue to read day in and day out. But for the sake of the podcast, this was about Luca. I only asked about the potential of him having a supporting cast because it seems like this super con- super max deal is going to be like Kyle said, not if, but when. Yeah. So, but this roster, as currently constructed, nah, it ain't going to do it exactly. No. I, I I believe the same thing. There's a lot of people we got to let go, or you know, if they do resign, maybe like a one year deal just to prove it. Um, transitioning into said next subject. Um, Kyle, what was what was the next one after Luca? I forget. Talk about Braun for a little bit. Right. Kyle, take this one away, bro, because I know this one rubbed you the wrong way. Yeah, so don't worry. You're going to get the question first. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about LeBron James here. So you guys have just been kind of paying attention to LeBron after this playoff series between the Lakers and the Suns came to its conclusion. It seemed like he was very focused on the upcoming movie Space Jam 2, where he is the main headline of the movie. And it's never been remade in the first place. I've seen a lot of these quotes and I've seen a lot of posts from LeBron about this upcoming movie. I don't know how good it's gonna be, but he definitely seems excited about it. So with that said, and, and Kevin, I'm gonna pose this question to you. Do you have a problem with James appearing to look more interested in Space Jam 2? than he did with how the Lakers performed against the Suns in their playoff series? Um, yes. <laughs> That's the only way I could put it. Like, absolutely. So, again, you know, not to continue to make the comparison, but when you, when you really look at people's overall careers, when you make the comparison, because LeBron James is in that upper echelon of one of the greatest players to ever play this basketball game, uh, this game called basketball, sorry. And I, and I automatically make the comparison to Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. This man literally is more hyped 
about a movie than his team looking like dog water in the first round of the playoffs. We're not talking about the Hornets. We're not talking about the freaking Cavaliers. We are talking about one of the most entrusted and biggest and most like, I don't know the word I'm looking storied, for. Going blank. Storied franchises. Storied franchises in the NBA, in the Los Angeles Lakers. And you didn't just go out and lose. There were games where you got mollywopped. Yes, Anthony Davis was out. That doesn't mean you check out and say, well, it's a wrap. Time to focus on Hollywood. Like, dude, the narrative of you going to L.A. for Hollywood dreams or future aspirations and acting and whatnot just continue to look like more of the truth. Yes, they won a championship last year in the NBA bubble. I'm not discrediting that he didn't do what he said he was going to do. He brought a championship back to the Los Angeles Lakers, which is great. But we're already moved on to the next season. We're here. I'm tired of looking backwards. We need to continue to look at the fact that he just loses interest very quickly. And that showed in game five. The Lakers were losing by a shit ton. He walked out five minutes, six minutes left in the game. He didn't seem interested enough in game six after his teammates were making very bad decisions. They went on a run. Once that run ended, he just looked like he gave up. He just stopped caring. Again, the lead went from, I think, what, 24-25. They cut it to about 13 or 10 points. And then LeBron came out for like a split second or somebody somebody turned the ball over. Again, my memory is fading because I'm still I'm, – I'm getting old, basically, is what I'm trying to say, guys. Um, and, and Braun just kind of like just mentally checked out. And the second that this series ends – He's literally all about Space Jam, Space Jam, Space Jam. Like, I get it. You can't, um, you can't worry about uh, something that already happened. You can't stress on the outcome that has already been decided. And he's not going to wallow about the Lakers losing. He's not going to sit there and complain and bitch about it. But the fact that the, F, the amount of effort you're putting into advertising for this movie versus you trying to petition your team or push your team to win, it just doesn't seem to be working for me. It seems like he's... Literally, like I continue to say, he checked out and he just wanted to advertise and promote for the Space Jam movie. Again, I don't think that movie should have been recreated anyway, but that's neither here nor there. So, I mean, you're the Laker fan. You're the objective one. I'm sitting here and I'm wondering what the hell's on your mind because you wouldn't tell me prior to the episode. So, tee off, my boy. What the hell's going on here? Well, here's the thing. I think once AD went out of game six with that uh with that groin injury that he was dealing with i think at that point he was done and honestly you can make a case that he was probably done even in game five because he left with about five and a half minutes in the game to go back to the locker room for what reason i don't know but still just optically speaking it doesn't look good when you leave your teammates to go back to the locker room with five and a half minutes to go granted I don't know the context of why he went back, but still optically, it doesn't look good. And then immediately after game six, the series is over. The Suns are advancing. And I understand that the Lakers season is over to move on to the topic of starting to promote the movie that you're going to be starring in. That's going to come out this summer. That is, that's a little bit self uh, centered in, in my opinion. And I think it really is reflective of just his general tone or his general thought process to this season is it's pretty much, it was pretty much over just because of the inconsistencies of LeBron and 
Anthony Davis being out of the lineup too much due to injury. So I think he thought that the season was a lost cause. Granted, I'm, I'm basically trying to guess what he was thinking, but that's what I saw. That's what his behavior was reflective of. And look, he's going into the last year of his contract. And I think at this point, look, I think we'll see what happens during this offseason. But we're going to find out very quickly if he's going to be interested in basketball this season when the season starts in November or December, whenever it starts. Because I'll be honest with you, it was kind of a dick move what he did by leaving that game early. That's just my opinion. And I don't really care like the reasons behind it. I'm just saying optically, it does not look good to do that. And then to be just so kind of standoffish about talking about the playoff series with the Suns after it ended to talk about a freaking movie. That's probably going to be a bust anyway. I think this movie is going to be not that good anyway. Gosh. That's just my opinion. Um, yeah, I think LeBron's got his priorities set on just kind of focusing on that next aspect of his career. I'm not talking about his basketball career is I think he's going to get big into um, a multimedia production company. I think that's where he's going to go next after his NBA career is over just because he's already started his own show on HBO with the shot. And he seems to have gotten some decent traction with that in the first couple seasons that they've had. And I think that's just where his mind is going to eventually wander to as his NBA career comes to an end. Now I will say this about LeBron. Look, the Lakers in the heat last year were the last two teams in the bubble. And they had about two and a half months off of rest before going into this season. Do I think that they possibly ran into a wall at the end just because they looked exhausted? Maybe because Miami looked absolutely gassed against the Bucks in the playoff series. So there may be some truth to that, but before AD got hurt and LeBron got hurt, this team was rolling on all cylinders and it all fell apart when, when those two guys got hurt. So I think just in, in LeBron's head, I think he thought that the season was essentially over with just because he knew he wasn't going to be a hundred percent and he knew AD wasn't going to be a hundred percent. So that's how I kind of look at it, but I think it's a little bit unsettling to be so focused on this movie that he's starring in and to be quite honest with with you, LeBron did not look that great in these playoffs here in in this playoff series against the Suns. He was, he was average. And it's, I think this is, I think it's actually time to start saying this. I think his reign as the best player in the NBA is officially over. I think he's still going to be have. It's, it's coming to an end. I wouldn't I, say it's officially over. I, I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm fine with saying that simply because I think this newer generation of NBA players is starting to make their impact. I think Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, even though that they're just a couple of years younger than him, I just think that they're in better overall shape than LeBron is, and I just don't think that Braun is capable of carrying this team to a finals appearance anymore. I just think when I look across the Western conference now, 
I don't think he's going to be able to do it. There's too many good teams. Phoenix is on the rise. Phoenix is on a meteoric rise. Denver is looking good, and they're look and they're looking good without Jamal Murray in the lineup because they got Nikola Jokic, who's the MVP. Utah is on the rise because they got Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert doing their thing, and you got Jordan Clarkson, who's the sixth man of the year off the bench. And they still got to deal with the Clippers. I mean, that's four good teams right there, and then. Golden State gets Clay Thompson back. You got Steph and Clay Thompson running the show in San Francisco. And the Lakers have LeBron James, who is going to be 37 in December, and Anthony Davis, who has been riddled with injuries throughout his entire career. So I just don't see it for the Lakers anymore. And I don't think LeBron can do it anymore. I think... The last we saw of LeBron being able to carry a team was last year when they won the finals in the bubble. But he got help from Anthony Davis. If Anthony Davis can't stay healthy, I don't think LeBron really has the willpower or the, the he, he's going to bestow the effort to carry that team to the finals like he did in multiple ways that he did with the Cavaliers in his second sit in Cleveland. I'm going to just flat out say, I just don't think LeBron's the best player in the world anymore. I think it's either Kevin Durant or Steph Curry. That's who I would rather pick at this point than LeBron. It's just, I can't trust, I can't trust LeBron anymore to, to carry a team to the finals anymore, unless he's getting help. It is a bold statement. I do respect you for coming out here and saying it with such confidence. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm just looking at this from the Western conference. Just like, yeah, no, I, I feel there's, you. there's five good teams. They're all on the rise. And if the Lakers are able to do anything in the off season to attract some top flight free agents to build a better roster around LeBron, you think that the Lakers are going to be able to compete and go toe to toe with some of these teams like the Phoenix Suns, the Phoenix Suns waxed them. Granted, I know AD was hurt and I know that, had he stayed healthy, it could have been a different series. But that game five left a bitter taste in my mouth when they got smacked by like 30 points. And LeBron had essentially given up within the first half of that game. So I think LeBron could still have great runs and stretches. It's just that I think I think that meteoric pace that he was at for so long is over. He's still going to be a very great player. I'm not going to discount that, but as the best player in the league, that's over. I have no problem saying that. To each his own. We'll see what happens next season. You know, he comes back healthy. AD comes back healthy. We see what they do in the off season when they reload, who knows if they try to go after Damian Lillard somehow. I don't think they have anywhere near the assets required to go out and get someone of his caliber, but you never know. So, I mean, we will see what happens. Like I said, we we do. We got to mark this date. We got to mark this day. This is what June 9th. Yeah, I might be 100% wrong. Listen, LeBron could do a freaking 180, pull a Tom Brady, and win two out of the three next finals that are up on the board. I, I might be 100% wrong on this one, but with, the, the way that I'm basing this off of is just general momentum. And I just think the momentum right now, I think that pendulum is going against LeBron. And ever since LeBron went out to the Western Conference – Things have not been easy for him. 
he is, he is not dominating the Western Conference like he did at the Eastern Conference. Granted, he's older, so I will give him that. It's just that I think now he realizes how difficult it is to win in the West. Yeah, it, it, it's a struggle. It's going to be a continuous struggle, like you said, with the rise of a lot of these younger teams. So only time will tell. Yeah. But since we are talking about those younger teams, I believe the next segment is supposed to be the New York Knickerbockers. Yep. Uh, so it's the last segment. And they're pending for and they're and they're pending free agency acquisitions. Um, dude, the Ooh. Knicks for the for the last what is it five seven years have just been every single offseason, every single summer. The Knicks have the opportunity to sign so-and-so. The Knicks are clearing up cap space to attract so-and-so. The Knicks are trying to acquire so-and-so in the sign and trade and assign then go after one more talent free agent. And last year was the prime fucking suspect of, oh, Kyrie and KD coming to New York. Kyrie and, K- Kyrie and KD are coming to the Garden. And what happened? They crossed the bridge and they went out there to Brooklyn. Every year they seem to go through the same thing. I've literally had enough because it's like they always say they have a shot or they're looking to acquire this person or they're looking to have contacts with this team to maybe trade for a a star player. And the rumors have already started. So just to clarify, the Knicks have not only reportedly, all of this could be bogus, all of this could be nonsense, it could not be official. This is just things that Kyle and I have seen throughout the internet and throughout the days since the Knicks were booted out of the playoffs by Atlanta last week. So there are speculations that the Knicks are going to be in talks with Portland to try to see if they can acquire Damian Lillard. There are talks that the Knicks could possibly be interested in trying to acquire John Wall if the price is right for Houston. And the latest news, I think I saw it this morning, that the Knicks could potentially be interested in bringing in veteran guard Dennis Schroeder and veteran forward Kelly Oubre to the already young and up-and-coming roster that is the Knicks. So, Kyle, with those four names right then and there, I'm just going to ask you bluntly, are any of them possible other than – okay, excuse me, let me rephrase. Because two of them are possible because they're affordable, because they did not have good seasons. But the other two names – do you see the Knicks going out there and really trying to throw the kitchen sink, the laundry machine, and then the fucking boiler to go out and get Damian Lillard or to even give the Houston Rockets a, a dishwasher for a 30-year-old John Wall? Not really. Uh, see, here's the thing. I'm of the mindset that the Knicks have a great young core. Now, what comes along with that is growing pains. And we saw that in the playoffs this year, simply because in the regular season, the Knicks were the fourth seed. They played outstanding throughout the regular season. But the playoff inexperience proved to be too much, and we saw some inconsistent play from Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, and then some of the other players that are on the Knicks roster. Yeah. Maybe Reggie Bullock. Start saying Reggie Bullock's name and say, oh, no, you said his name, and you ain't say it. Oh, I, I, I didn't say uh, what, uh, Mike King? Mike King? <laughs> you, you, Kevin, you got to provide the context on this one. <laughs> guys, if, you, if you're on TikTok, uh, there's this group. There's this two, two guys. They're called the, the Broadway Brothers. Oh, I forget. They're the Broadway Brothers, and they always just go over 
all of these draft classes and, you know, the, the lavish lifestyle of Rob Deerdeck or whatever. Long story short, he was going over the draft that Julius Randle was a part of. And to introduce him, he was like, number seven draft pick overall, Julius Randle, my king. And, like, because he's, he's a Knicks fan because they're from New York, and he obviously proceeds to, like, name the rest of the draft. And the reason why I exclaimed who is because every time there's a player that didn't pan out in the league or that no one's ever fucking heard of, he, <laughs> there's no explanation. He just goes, fifth overall pick, Dante Exum, who? <laughs> <laughs> and then continues to just basically either tear the draft apart or obviously go over the career accolades of the players in that draft class. But I just thought it was funny because prior to the episode, Kyle literally said, bro, if you say Julius Randle's name or if his name comes up in a conversation, I'm just going to whisper to the camera. Good to talk about Dennis Schroeder talking about he had averaged uh, what three, four points in the playoffs. You got to start saying uh, who when we talk about Dennis Schroeder because he he did have 24 in one game. I don't give. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Simply because he's he's a scrub. He, regular season he's fine, but in the playoffs he was like playoff P. Didn't show up. Back to the back to the segment of the Knicks and Damian Lillard and John Wall. Do you think that the Knicks gonna go after? No. I mean they'll try. They're not gonna get him. Just because if Damian Lillard is available, the whole entire league is gonna be trying to go get him. Hundred percent. But I think the Knicks should just stay with the core of guys that they have. And and the, the reason why I say that is because I think that there's this idea amongst NBA GMs that if these young players don't develop to the way that they want them to within the first two to three years of starting with the team, they are already looking to move them because they're not playing up to expectations. Imagine if the Lakers had gotten rid of Kobe Bryant or traded Kobe after his bad playoff performance where he was chucking up air balls in the first playoff series that he played in. I'm just saying, you have to allow these guys to develop. Julius Randle won most improved player of the year. RJ Barrett is still coming into his own. And you have some good veteran leadership with Taj Gibson and Derrick Rose. Granted, I know Taj Gibson isn't what I would consider like the best player in the league, but he provides a solid veteran presence on the team, and so does Derrick Rose. I think that those assets on the team are invaluable, especially to some young guys like Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. I say keep those guys there. If you want to listen to the offers of trying to get Damian Lillard or maybe look towards Kawhi if Kawhi becomes available, depending on how his situation goes to the Clippers. You can entertain, at least hear the the possible offers that either the Clippers or the Trailblazers want in return. But outside of that, I say stick with the guys that they have and continue to build their confidence. <laughs> and if they do that, they'll be fine. I really do think if they keep this core together, that the Knicks could potentially end up in a situation where they could play in an Eastern Conference Finals just because I do think that they have that potential. You have to let these guys keep playing at the level that, that they're playing at and let them continue to gradually improve their skills as time progresses. I, I truly believe, and this is like the optimist in me, I truly believe that the Knicks could one day 
be a top two, top three team in the Eastern Conference. They're already top four after this season. Granted, could this one season be a fluke and they kind of return to their old weights? Yeah, maybe. I'm not going to rule that out. But when I look across the league, when I look at what the Lakers had with Jordan Clarkson, Julius Randle, um, who else? Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, all those guys are now playing either above average or stellar play of basketball. Brandon Ingram has been in improving every single year that he's played with the Pelicans. Lonzo Ball has changed his jump shot and is a is what I would consider an average to an above average point guard. And then when you look at Julius Randle, he's been outstanding for the Knicks ever since the Knicks acquired him, I believe two seasons ago. And now you're you're looking at Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson is the sixth man of the year for Utah. He's damn near averaging starter numbers. So I think if the Knicks are smart here, they look at the model that the Lakers have with their young guys, except they keep them. Let those guys develop. And I think that this could potentially be a competent franchise for the next couple of years. I don't think that they should just hit the eject button and try to send everybody that they have from their young core to go get Damian Lord for maybe one to two years, maybe three at the most of trying to get a championship with Damian Lillard. Don't get me wrong. Dame is great. You know, if they try to go for Kawhi, if Kawhi is available, fine. But at the expense of these young guys, the potential that they could bring for the next decade, I say they should just stick with the core that they have. You know, try to get some mid-level free agents, something that's realistic, not a pipe dream like, oh, we're going to go get two top flight free agents. That's not going to happen. Look for some guys that you can build around to, to bolster the roster. And I think they'll be fine. I think so they're going to win the formula issue. Here. Here's the issue. I just looked up the Knicks roster for 2022 on contract. This is bad. I didn't realize they literally lost everyone. The only active players on this roster that aren't like rookies or like 10 day contracts, like G League players, is Obi Toppin. Emmanuel quickly, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Kevin Knox, who will probably get let go because he has sucked since he's come out of Kentucky, and then Mitchell Robertson, who has been hurt for the last couple of years for the Knicks. So you literally have a total of six players that have seen the court because the other two players on this list are Luca Vildoza and Norvell Pelly. I've never seen them touch the court. Maybe they come in in garbage time. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I don't care. But there goes Taj, there goes D-Rose, there goes Reggie, there goes Norland's Noel. I mean, that's four vets right there that played really good minutes for this Knicks team. Granted, we don't know the situation and what they're going to do in the offseason, but I would assume you're going to go out there and you're going to give you know, money to the players that rightfully deserve it. AKA, I think Derrick Rose gets an extension. I think really Reggie Bullock maybe comes back on a one-year deal. But here's the thing. Here's why I will disagree with you to a certain extent. I believe that they have the capability to go after these free agents or available players, depending on what they do in free agency. And I only say that because I, I hate to sound like a prick. New York is New York. You want top money. You want 
to play in the greatest city in the world. Now that fans are coming back into the stadium next season, I would assume everybody's back at hundred percent capacity, no restrictions because we pretty much are getting there during this postseason. Um, I think they have the potential to go maybe after the John wall, the risk, not that I'm saying it's going to happen. Not that I'm saying I would like for it to happen, but that takes care of the point guard situation in terms of the starter. He had a great year this year. He stood relatively healthy. I'm not saying they do it. I'm just saying I think they have the opportunity to go after a player like that because this is the first winning season they've had in eight years. New York is rocking again. Obviously, the city was behind this team 100%. With a young, inexperienced team, excluding a few veterans, they were the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, and they're coming off of a coach of the year season in Tom Thibodeau. They have attractive pieces on all aspects of the fucking game. They have cap space. They have up and coming young stars and they have a great coaching staff. So I really think, and obviously again, it's New York city. They have the potential to acquire somebody. They probably go out and do it because the Knicks can't help themselves. If they, if someone's available, it's like, it's like bringing a kid to a candy store and asking them not to grab a candy bar. It's just, they, they just can't do it. They're going to have a lot of money this next off season pending if they give people extensions and whatnot. But I'm curious to see what they do this season. I don't think they go after Dame. They literally don't have any pieces here that Portland's going to want to take away from them. And I don't think that they're going to go after Dennis Schroeder and Kelly Uber because those are just negative signings. Maybe Dennis, because Dennis has the potential to play at an offensive clip and he does play solid defense. Um, he won't have to be as an important role as he would have been in the late on the Lakers, because once AD went out, he w- pretty much was the second option if we're being completely honest and he just kind of flopped at that point so we'll see what happens in that regard but the Knicks have a shot here this offseason good culture good environment cap space and they have good players so who's to say they don't go after like you said maybe a middle to high like maybe like a b a b plus kind of free agent superstar like a Kyle Lowry, you know, like a veteran point guard, you know what I'm saying? Something around that aspect, maybe a DeMar DeRozan, who knows? This pipe dream of them trying to get Dame, they need that to needs stop. To stop. They they need to, to I just stop. read you their roster. There's nothing here. Unless you give them Julius Randle, Mitchell you, Robinson, RJ Barrett, and future first round picks, and maybe throw in Tom Thibodeau because they don't have a head coach you, right now. You think that Houston's going to just willingly give up John Wall like that? No, but I mean, his contract is eating up a lot and they're in full rebuild mode. There's no reason to eat up that much money. So I think that he definitely moves this offseason. What, for somebody that can't stay healthy? I didn't I mean, say it was going to happen with the Knicks. I'm just, the, the way that I look at it, I would just kind of just focus on building around the pieces that they have. This is a good core. They're young. But keep them together. I really do think if that they keep this team together and add some mid-level free agents, so they're not essentially breaking the bank to go get a top-flight, top-five player in the league, whether it's in free agency or a trade. But I just don't think that it's worth it for the Knicks. The Knicks have a winning team without a superstar. They don't know. They're the, all of those players are free agents. The impactful players are gone. I mean, they still. I just, I just read. I just read. They only. They, they only have four players that actually play important minutes on this team left. More than likely, what's going to happen is that just because of the relationship that Tom Timido have and Derrick Rose, 
I think Derrick Rose gets re-signed by the Knicks. That's just my opinion. I could be 100% wrong, but that's just my my guess. Taj Gibson, he, look, he's a role player. He's largely a defensive presence, but they can replace that in free agency. This is where I'm talking about, okay, this is where you kind of look for the mid-level type free agents. I'm not talking about somebody that you're going to put in your top start. You're going to put in your starting five. I'm talking about the roster from six to 10. That top five, as far as the starters go, seems pretty decent. They may have to add a point guard because look, Alfred Payton did not work out this season. So they may look to upgrade that position as well. But I don't think that if they just go out and pursue Dame and they're saying, okay, all of these guys are on the table to go get Dame. I think it's going to leave just a nightmare scenario for the Knicks because these guys are going to have the thought process. I'm like, well, why am I going to play for a franchise that is actively trying to shop me? And, you know, I understand that it's a business, but it's like it's going to have an impact on these guys' ability to perform if they're under the constant possibility of I could be traded just because that the Knicks are going to go after Damian Lillard or Kawhi Leonard or John Wall. It's just, I just, I don't think it's worth it for them. I say stick with the young guys, let these guys develop for a couple of years and see what you make of it. I, I've always been on the mindset that it is best to build from within and build them up. Look what Golden State was able to accomplish from their own draft classes. I'm not I saying agree, that I agree. I'm not that I'm not saying that the Knicks are going to win three to four titles and they're going to take over the league, but I've always been in the mindset. It is better to develop the team from within, build them up over a couple of years. That way that just the chemistry is a lot better that way than picking free agents like left and right, trying to put a puzzle piece together like the Lakers did when LeBron went to LA. I've always okay. been in that mindset. So I just looked up the free agents in this next upcoming summer, right? This is, guys, I know we're, we're dragging on this a little long, but, I mean, the Knicks always find a way to be in this particular not, echelon of a top. I'm not even a Knicks fan, and I want the I Knicks know. to be good. It's just, don't abandon these guys. I, the, I'm, like, I'm not, I don't think they're going to abandon, so check this out. Excluding Kawhi Leonard, he is the top upper echelon. He's got a player option. There's no guarantee he even leaves L.A., right? So I'm just going to, I'm just going to remove him for a second. Chris Paul is next on this list. This is NBC Sports' is top, right? So it. we'll see what happens. But there's rumors that he's going to opt out and he's going to ask for another $100 million contract. We'll talk about that another day. Yeah. Um, DeMar DeRozan is a, is, is a free agent, 100%. He's 31. He's probably leaving San Antonio. I don't know if that helps R.J. Barrett. If he, you know, if he takes over the forward spot in New York, I don't know. He provides veteran leadership. Good offensive player, solid defense, and very efficient from the field and the free throw line. So a potential option. He's never going to get another $28, $30 million contract like he did with the Spurs. It's potential. That's That's one person. That to me is realistic. Okay. And then the next two players are Kyle Lowry and Mike Conley. I didn't even know Mike Conley was available. Mike Conley is a great, stable, and efficient point guard when healthy. He, he had a very big resurgent year this year. He helped Utah become the best team in the Western Conference and the best team in the league record-wise. And obviously, Kyle Larry, veteran guard, everybody knows, very efficient scorer when healthy as well. Um, good ball handler, clock management. He's coming off of a $30 million uh, uh, year in terms of his final 
contract year with the Raptors. But who's to say the Knicks don't sign him for a year or two to see what he can do in terms of at least being able to dominate the ball, you know, bring the ball up and give them an actual true and honest point guard. And I mean, obviously there's other people, there's Lonzo Ball. He's a restricted free agent. Who knows if the Pelicans re-sign him? So, I mean, whatever people offer him, he could get that matched by the, the Pelicans. I'm just looking at the guards remaining. Um, and, you know, you have Spencer Dinwiddle, Dinwiddie, excuse me. You have Norman Powell, had a great year this year. You know what I'm saying? Evan Fournier had a bad stint in Boston in the remainder of the second half of the year. But who's to say he doesn't have, uh, you know, an Orlando Magic year the next time you have Devontae Graham, who's young. And then I'm just looking at, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. Does he come back to New York? And then Gary Trent Jr. There's a lot of like, like I said, B to B plus level free agents here that won't break the bank, but are veterans. And then you have Victor Oladipo. I'm not saying he, he goes or leaves Miami, but I mean, the guy got traded like two times a season and barely played at all. I understand the temptation to go after a top flight free agent. I, I get that. But I'm telling you right now, I would be thrilled not as even as a Knicks fan to see someone like Mike Conley Jr. or DeMar DeRozan be on the Knicks simply because it's like I mentioned earlier with that veteran leadership. You can't, you can't put a price on that. That's invaluable. That's something that we don't see. You know, we see it on the court, but it's like the day-to-day interactions that they have with the players in practice the off-the-court conversations that they have one-on-one outside of just the team facilities. Like, you, you can't put a value on that because that stuff is priceless. D- like, Damian Lillard would be great on the next. I'm, I'm not discounting that. But at what cost is it going to be to go get him? I'm just saying it's more realistic and probably a better option to go after somebody like Mike Conley Jr., DeMar DeRozan, maybe Gary Trent Jr., just because you don't have to break the bank, like you said. And I think I think it's within their best interest to keep the young core together and make the most of it. I don't think this is like something you have to blow the whole team up because you got bounced out in the first round of the playoffs. Everybody, all these young guys have to go through some sort of adversity through their career. And guess what? They may get to the playoffs next year. Guess what? They could get bounced out of the first round again. Jordan had a habit of getting knocked out of the first round of the playoffs. But over time, they finally found ways to become a winning basketball team and then eventually a championship winning team. Not saying that's going to happen with the Knicks. Just saying you have to kind of go, these these young players have to go through the trials and tribulations that go along with becoming a, a possible NBA champion. And the way that I see it, I just think that there's this rush to blow it up and try to get a top flight player if he's available. I know they tried that with Katie and Kyrie the other uh, a couple of years back, and look how it ended up. They couldn't get him. And now you're in a situation where you have a good core of young guys, and you're going to blow it up to get a couple of years of Damian Lillard. I don't think that's going to result. It would, it would, it would, I don't it think it's going to result in NBA Portland. championship. I, I, it would be repeating what he has in Portland, honestly. It, that's like, how I, that's you're going to blow it up, and he's going to be the only person on that team. Exactly. So it's like, is it worth it to, for me? No. Go no, after some mid-level free agents. I think they'll be fine. 
Yeah, is- I think the Knicks can make a run. Obviously, their front office is going to be smarter this offseason. I think that they need to start with, you know, potentially giving Julius an extension, getting Derrick Rose back in the building, and then they can move on from there. Let me ask you just, just a quick one. What do you think the Knicks' true potential is? With these I guys? wouldn't go as far as what you said in terms of Eastern Conference Finals because obviously there are a lot of outlying pieces right now. We have no idea what's going This roster scares me right now. Like to know that there are only four players that touch the basketball court remaining on this team is very, very concerning. There are seven available roster spots on this. This is very bad in terms of seeing how far they can go because they did well with this group. And unless they re-sign everybody, excluding Kevin Knox and kicking Alfred Payton out to the curb, this team is not going to be the same because they had they created an identity and they made a run with what they had in that locker room. And we both know in all of sports, if you change that core, that 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 group of guys that made that historic or that 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 year that one good year run. It could happen, like you said a few minutes ago. They could end up flopping and going back to one of the worst teams in the league because now they know. All right, we're gonna we're gonna keen in on Julius Randle. We're gonna let R.J. Barrett shoot, and Mitchell Robertson might play half the year because of his injuries. Who's who, who knows? I think they need to make an impactful statement by going out and signing young, impactful players. Like I said, B to B plus. And if they have the cap and the availability to go out and get a bigger one, like a DeMar, like a, like a, like a, like a DeMar. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Honestly. And that tier level, Mike Mike Conley Jr. Then, 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 then you do it. But if not like, like we've been saying veterans, re-sign Derek Rose, maybe bring back Taj Gibson or Norlands Noel for the defensive purpose that they bring in the veteran leadership as well. And, and, and Tom Thibodeau is the core right there. Tom Thibodeau is the guy that brings them all together. Defensive efficiency. We all know the type of players that he likes to bring into the system. So we will see what happens. I did not expect this segment to go as long as it has, but that's what the Knicks tend to do to me. And they just drag out fucking internal segments. I'm not even a Knicks fan, but there's general excitement about this team. I can't explain it. Can't shake it. Yeah, there's just something about it. And and there's a buzz back in the city, and that's big. Yeah, I mean, it's better than freaking Lakers, and I'm a Lakers fan. The Lakers aren't going anywhere, I'll tell you that. Yeah, but, you know, guys, we've been talking for a while here. Uh, we didn't expect this episode to go as long as it did, so we just want to first and foremost thank you for watching the video if you're here. If you get to this point, um, if not, you know, follow the channel, subscribe to the channel, like, comment on whatever videos you feel like it. You know, we do appreciate any and all support. We just hit 169 subscribers today. We're one shy of 170. Um Share it with your friends, share the Spotify, share the link to the Apple podcast, whatever it is that you guys got to do. We're here on pretty much almost every available platform. Kyle and I are going to continue to bring out all and any content that we can. The NBA playoffs are rocking. Great content with free agency looming within a few weeks of the NBA playoffs. We do know that it's going to get interesting um, and see not only what happens to the Knicks, what happens to the Mavs, what happens to the Lakers, what happens to Damian Lillard, what happens to Kemba Walker. There are a lot of names out here. That could be in new uniforms come next season. Obviously, the NFL, Julio Jones being out there, officially signing with the Titans, that went through. So NFL news, we're kind of sitting stagnant right now, waiting for, you know, mini camps and, you know, mandatory offseason camps to come and start. Baseball's in full swing, and the NHL playoffs are obviously in full swing as well. Kyle and I are lacking on that front. I know Kyle's probably watched a lot more of it than I have. But, you know, we have topics to discuss.
Yeah, I mean, we, we have we have topics for you guys coming. We have endless content. We're trying to make sure we get two to three episodes, two to three segments, or th- two to three days at least of content for you. So please let us know we, what we can do better. Message us on social media, whatever it is that you guys got to do. But again, from the bottom of our hearts, the Neighborhood Podcast wouldn't be anything without your support. So we just genuinely appreciate you guys being here. And, you know, we got more to come. Yeah, and I just want to take the time to uh, appreciate and say thank you to the people that are listening to us on Spotify or wherever you guys listen to the podcast. I know it's um, it's a little bit different uh, listening to the podcast rather than, than watching it on YouTube, but we definitely appre- appreciate the support on the audio platforms only. So we definitely appreciate that. And it's like Kevin said, we still got a lot of NBA content to go through. We're in literally the heart of the playoffs right now in the NBA. And that's, and this is what it's all about. Um, don't be surprised if I talk a little bit about hockey um, in some future segments, just because we are kind of getting towards the better part of the NHL playoffs. We're starting to get closer to the final four teams. So this will definitely be fun to watch as we get closer to the Stanley cup finals. And pretty much it that's all i got it's it's gonna be a fun stretch for the next couple weeks so definitely stay tuned for what we got planned for you guys it's gonna be fun but with that said you guys wrap it up from here thank you guys for tuning in once again and we will see you guys either in another episode next week or some future videos that come out for some segments later in the week Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.